I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. here hello welcome along uh, a brand new episode of writer's routine thanks for giving us a listen this week we're chatting to susan lewis who has done a lot of writing in her time she's written books across the genres she's published over 30 of them she's lived all around the world as well gathering inspiration to tell stories now her new book one minute later it's out right now and we talk about why a family party gave her the idea for the story also how she copes with the pressure of publishing twice a year And we find out how she gets ideas from travelling all across the globe. When I was in the United States, I wrote a series of four books um, which was very inspired by the political scene there at the time. Um, And they are, as you say, okay, different genres and more political thrillers, but you've got really sort of quite raunchy love stories within those books as well. Because that's another thing. I used to write really graphic, full-on sex. Because um, there was sex before Fifty Shades of Grey. Stay there. It's all on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Right, hello. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for giving Writer's Routine a listen. This is the show that takes you through the working day of an author in a bid to to steal some of their scheduling secrets... Uh, that has helped their success. We've had lots of pretty incredible and lovely tweets and emails in for the show recently. If that's you, if you've taken the time to send in good thoughts to us, I'm extremely grateful. And remember, as always, if you do enjoy what we do, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leaving us a review with a few helpful thoughts is probably the best way that you can help out the show. Five stars, it also goes a really long way to making the people who need the advice from some of our authors be able to find the advice from some of our authors so if you do have a a spare few seconds i'd love you to give us a review over on apple podcasts now on the show today uh, susan lewis takes us through the daily routine that helped her write her new book one minute later now you'll hear a lot about the story through the chat and what she does when she first has that idea also susan has published uh, over 30 books now across different genres she must have story ideas all the time, you got to think. So I'm really interested in how she sifts through them and sorts out and decides which ones she'll work on this time, which story she's going to tell. We talk about that through the chat. Plus, today, I, I want your writing tips, if possible. If you've had some advice that's really helped your work, if you think it can help other people's, well, go through me. 
Uh, have a think about what it is. I'll tell you how you can let us know in just a sec. First, let's hear the first part of the chat with Susan Lewis then. And we start, as always, with what she sees around her in the room where she sits down to write. It's in the west wing of the house, could I dare say that? Um, but what I can see is absolutely glorious because I've only just done it. Is I've got a, an entire wall taken up with a mural of Van Gogh's almond branches. So it's just an absolutely stunning piece. Uh, and that's on the wall to my right. Straight ahead of me uh, are the French windows that look out across the countryside. And in better weather, uh, towards uh, Easter, uh, the horses come back. Some friends keep their horses there. So I watch the horses roam around the field. And beyond that field, there are the cows and sometimes the sheep. And right in front of me, on their little sofa, are my dogs. And you're writing on a desk, I'd, I'd imagine. Talk to me about what's on the desk, the paraphernalia. Are we, we going to see scattered notes? Is there... What, what's on there? Yeah, on my desk is, uh, of course, my computer. And next to it on one side will be a, a large foolscap pad Well, I where I'll make some notes as I go because, you know, various bits of dialogue or questions will come into my head as I'm writing that will need to go further, go into place further in the book. So I'll write down those uh, little prompts. And then to my left is my kind of bookkeeping uh, book where um, I kind of make notes as to where everything is in the book so I can find it more easily if I need to go back. Um, and my cup of tea there's always almost always a cup of tea there because I use one of those um, uh, vacuum mugs you know so it keeps it warm for longer Um, so I don't think there's really much else I mean apart from over on the top right hand corner would be the pile up of bills and mail and things that I need to get round to at some point but so the show's called writer's routine Susan tell me about yours then the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write. Talk me through it, leave no what you might perceive to be a tedious stone unturned. I assure you it's all useful. All right, okay. So um, I'm usually woken up around six o'clock by Coco, my um, cochon de tuléar, who wants her breakfast. She's not one to wait. So therefore I almost always have a very early start to the day. From there, from after I've fed her, I will go over to the gym. We have a gym um, across the courtyard in, in, in the house. There are two buildings there, and the gym is over in the other building. Um, and so I attempt to do my cardio, my yoga, or whatever I'm doing that day. Uh, come back, shower, we go walk the dogs. Um, and They're getting older now, so we don't do as much walking as we used to. When I walk on my own, it's, it is actually quite beneficial because that's then when I start to gather up my thoughts for the day. I'm starting to communicate with characters that have quite possibly kept me awake during the night anyway, and then they're back. Um, if my husband's with me, then maybe sometimes I'll talk things through with him, but rarely. I rarely talk about a book when I'm actually writing it. Um, and then maybe there's a supermarket shop even that has to be fitted in. So these days, I don't actually start to write until about half past 10 or 11 o'clock. And I then, yeah, then I'm at my desk and I stay there, really, until 5, 6 or even 7. just depends on how it's going 
and whether there's a natural break around five o'clock. And if there is, I might go back over to the gym and just do a bit more walking on the treadmill just because obviously it's just such, you know, I'm just sat down all day. Um, And after, uh, my husband always cooks, which is wonderful. So we tend to eat in front of the Channel 4 News. Um, And I can almost guarantee you that by the end of the news, I am fast asleep in the chair. (laughs) Uh, and so I do go to bed quite early. I end up then going at about nine o'clock, at which point I will be reading. That's my um, my time for when I take out my Kindle. And, and that's really why I go to bed so early, is because I want to read and I don't want to fall asleep in the chair again. You get around six hours writing time on an average day mm. and you wait for a natural break I, I mean you've written a fair few novels now mm. how, how do you know what you're going to be writing during that time oh well I, no I never set myself a target of number of pages or number of words um I, I just I think that might work quite well for people who have been journalists because they're used to working in that uh, that orderly kind of fashion but no mine is much more um should I say organic or visceral you know it's just coming from within and Hopefully it will flow. And, uh, you know, the first draft for me is always the one that is the hardest work. I do, I put almost everything I can into the first draft uh, so that it will end up being quite long. And then I'll make some cuts probably in the second one or smooth things out. Um, so really, if I only write one, uh, one page in a day, then that's fine. It just will have taken that long to get it right. And sometimes I could do perhaps seven or eight pages in a day just because it's... Often that will involve quite a lot of dialogue, seven or eight pages. I find dialogue easier to write, funnily enough. Maybe a lot of people do, I I don't know. Under, I would imagine, some pressure to get these books written so they can be published, though, does that ever affect the way that you tell your story? Are you... uh, you know, on occasion, are you in a rush to get through that first draft so then it can be edited, so then it can be in for publication date? Yeah, well, I'm always conscious of the fact, because I do two books a year, so I'm always conscious of the fact that, yeah, the book has to be in by the beginning of June or the beginning of December, whichever uh, half of the year we're in. So it's there in the back of my mind. Um, But really, I, I have never yet not made a deadline, but... I've always believed, <laughs> naively maybe, that if I didn't make it, the publisher would cut, you know, cut me some slack, simply because I have been so reliable in the past. Um, but it, you know, I will aim if I'm starting, like I'm just starting a book now, uh, January going into February, um, and I will aim to have that first draft done by the end of April, so that I can begin the second draft at the beginning of May and spend the next four weeks doing the second draft. Um, If I've finished before the end of April, um, I will continue and do the second draft and I might then uh, give it to my editor and say, look, let's have a chat. Um, Because before I do a third draft, it's going to be useful to have your thoughts. Talk to me about how the process of your writing has streamlined in that time. If you're writing two books a year, and you say that it's a very organic process, but... I just find it hard to believe that there's not some system that goes because you know that you need to publish two a year and you've done it 
for quite a time now. Just talk me through, if you can, as I say, how that process has changed for you 40-some books down the line. How, how different is your writing routine now than it was at the beginning? No, it's not. I should think it's probably the same. I mean, I mean, there was a time when I used to only do one book a year, um, and now I wonder what the hell I used to do. with. You know, I used to feel that it took me a year to write a book. Um, but clearly it didn't. And so what I used to do with all the extra time, I've no idea. Um, so, no, definitely once I start writing a book, that's what my life is about then. I'm very fixed on it, or fixated even, on what I'm doing. And I, you know, I don't, I've just been for a walk this morning, and, I, and even just going up in the elevator, um, characters are talking to me. Things are going on in my head for when I next sit down to write um, so that's what my whole world becomes about is that book and I just take off usually just one day a week which is a Sunday and then I take it just because I am tired I, I would love to carry on and I used to be able to when I was younger I could go for two weeks um, sometimes almost up to three without taking a break but I certainly can't do that now I went to a baby shower at um, uh, it's um Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, in World's End, it was my goddaughter, uh, was having a baby shower. And it was a long time, I used to live around there when I was in London, and it was a long time since I had been there. And I just felt so inspired, because, of course, I used to write when I was living in that area. Um, and I thought, God, I haven't written anything that's happened here in so long. And I felt so inspired, and, and so inspired by the uh, young women that were there some of them were already mothers um most weren't but they'd all been to law school together and they were the ones that really uh got me thinking about I wanted to write something about these beautiful gifted you know madly intelligent women who were becoming mothers and I wasn't entirely sure how to go about that yet but I thought I would start it off with a party in this location which I name it will come back to me um and uh, which is what I did and as I was doing this I'm thinking so now what is going to happen at this party that is going to really kick off this book and so my main character is called Vivian they are getting together to celebrate her birthday her 27th birthday they're all they call themselves themselves the gals the girls at law uh, because they had all met at law school and so uh, they're there, she turns up, and the party's just getting going. They've got the champagne, they've got all these beautifully exotic, expensive presents that they're giving each other because they're all high earners already. And suddenly, she goes into cardiac arrest. And it's not something you would ever see coming. And she didn't, she'd been feeling, you, you know this through the first chapter, that she had been feeling a little off colour. She thought she had a bug that she couldn't get rid of and whatever. But her heart just went into arrest. And that was it. So, you know, straight off to emergency. And, of course, her life changed in a heartbeat. And at what point did you start writing? Did you start 
typing at, at your screen did you know all this before I kind of yeah yeah I kind of had a, a an idea but writing is for me is very much a part of the thinking process I'm doing the two together uh, because the words on the page will without exception they will stimulate the rest of the story and suddenly I'll write something or one of the characters will say something and I think wow brilliant yes okay let's go with this you know um so yeah I I'm yeah the two just go hand in hand so as I'm writing it I I knew even before I started writing that something had to happen right there at the beginning of the book um to make this worthwhile uh, you know it had to be because otherwise these are just very successful young women that uh, we'd all love to be one of them but you know um and obviously all fictional drama really is about conflict um and challenge so and this is the challenge that she's now she now has a heart that cannot function uh, and without um constant monitoring so her career and her, all her dreams of becoming, um, you know, the head of her department. She works in a, an insurance firm. She runs the legal department for an insurance firm. And all her ambitions to go right to the top, to become a mother, to do all these things that she, her friends are doing that she thought, she just took for granted this is what she would be doing, is now everything has changed. She has to give up living in London. She has to go back to live with her mother. Um, and she... Actually, she's, as I said, I think I've already said this, she's a real high flyer, literally, because she's flying around the world all the time. And now she can't actually go anywhere. It's actually quite an effort for her just to walk to the end of the street after she, because she's now been assessed for um, transplant. She has been put on the transplant list, but the chances of a new heart coming are quite remote you know people can wait for a long time for a heart um and meanwhile she is still recovering from the attack that she's had or several attacks that she's had to her heart uh, she has a device which is um implanted uh in her shoulder and connected to the heart so that if her heart should stop beating again it will automatically fire it up and there are quite a number of people who have those She's no longer the Vivian who she was. She's just had to become a different person. And will she even will she even survive the year that they've given her if a new heart doesn't come along? So you've got that initial idea. Do you know how it's going to end? Do you know points during the middle? What's on your, your roadmap of the story? I certainly had a fairly clear idea of how it was going to end. I'm always open to change because something might well happen as I'm writing I think actually that will give us a much better ending um, in this instance it did end the way that I had always thought it would um, what did happen of course one of the you know most vital parts of writing any book is the research and the young man that I met uh, who is waiting for a new heart he he well, he actually features in the book under his own name. Uh, so he gave me so much information of what it is like to be in that position. And he gave me recordings. And it, when he speaks to his surgeon, he records it so that later, you know, he can play it, obviously can play it back to himself because what he hears are the kind of things that none of us ever want to hear. Um, and it's quite hard to take this kind of thing in. Mm. 
Um, and so he gave me the recordings, which, as you can imagine, were, I mean, they informed the book brilliantly, but, oh, God, they're distressing to hear. Um, he's such a brave and exceptional young man. Um, so being in touch with him quite a lot through the book was definitely um, creating the book with me, if you like. And uh, there's also, because, you know, it's kind of, it's really forbidden for her to fall in love now because her heart is not strong enough, perhaps, to take the physical side of being in love. Um, And, of course, she falls in love. I mean, it's not... Like, you know, you can stop yourself from doing that. And she had no idea it was going to happen. There, are, This book is in two parts. There is Vivian, the high flyer, and there's Shelley, the sheep farmer. Um, and Shelley is a whole different story within the book. Uh, and, and then you start to see how the two come together. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Susan Lewis in just a sec. First, I want to trouble you for some writing tips, if that's possible. You know how normally in the show every week uh, we get a top tip that may change the way that you work forever from someone that's been there, that's done it, that's had their book published uh, from a successful writer that we've spoken to before. And I'm thinking, maybe that's you. If you can help us out, possibly. If you've got a writing tip that really helps the way that you work, perhaps you can share it with me. And then I'll share it with everyone. 
I don't know, maybe it's something that you've heard, like a little snippet of advice. Perhaps you go to church graveyards to get inspiration from names or you've got the perfect way of plotting your characters or there's a song that you use that really helps you work through that writer's block. Whatever it is, if it's a tip that you know that you use daily, perhaps it can help everyone out. Uh, Let me know about it and I'll give it a read out on the show. I'll say hello. You can tell me what it is through Twitter. Ping me at writerspod on there. Give us a follow. Also, you can sneak a DM to me on Instagram. We are writersroutine on there. Uh, And you can send a message to me and find all the episodes of the show that we've done so far on our website, which is writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to our chat with Susan Lewis then. Her new book, One Minute Later, it's out right now. And in this half, we speak about why she wrote this book at this particular time. You know, why did this idea stand out for her amongst all the others that were swimming around her brain? Also, we find out how she gets ideas when she's living all over the world. How and why do these different stories come to her in different places? Why do countries provide inspiration? And we pick things up talking about plotting and planning. Because I'll be honest, she's been quite vague about this so far. So I'm keen to try and nail it down. You know, does she have a system? Is there a plan for her plan? Uh, Perhaps it's in her head or is there a whiteboard somewhere with some post-it notes strewn all over it? Everything's in my head. No, I don't. I'm sure if I wrote crime fiction, I'm sure I probably would want a whiteboard. I'm trying to get everything right. But um, no, it's all in my head. It's all done instinctively. And when I say that, it's it's almost physical. I know in within myself, in my heart, I can feel what's right, and because I get this sort of a little feeling of uplift as ideas start to unfold and come onto the page. And as I say, when I'm researching, I am also writing when I'm I'm researching. I do do the two together. Um, And if it's wrong, I just get this sinking feeling in my heart. And I say, okay, abandon it. It's completely wrong. So it feels that it is quite an instinctive sort of process. And... Uh, and I, yeah, and I've always trusted to those instincts. Um, and I'm not saying I always get it right because I really don't. You know, I mean, I'll get through quite a way through a book, and I think, right, okay, this is not working for some reason. What have I got wrong? And I have to go back. And it, it has been known that I've forgotten to put the main character in. <laughs> you know, you know, particularly if I've got a couple of stories going on within the book, and then suddenly I think, oh hell. Oh, where is she? It's like I pulled out of the station without her. I have to go back and get her. Number one, um, the style doesn't change. I think your your style is your style. Uh, And so you take it to a different genre. Um, And it's whether or not you're really very interested in that other genre. Uh, I probably wouldn't take it, take my style, my writing uh, to... Um, historical fiction simply because of the amount of research involved and I just wouldn't have that time in a six month period to to research I mean the only historical book if you like that I've done I did many years ago um, and that was when I had a year to write a book and uh, so no I don't tend to go there um, but sometimes I feel sort of quite switched on by the idea of a detective story um, I don't perhaps approach detective stories in the way that a crime writer would. Um, I just approach them the way that I do, um, so that we really um, 
were very, very involved in the detective. And uh, and and I'm not saying that crime writers don't do that because actually they do. But a lot of them are quite focused on um, on process and the legal. For, you know, they're quite forensic in their own approach to it. And I would be uh, less inclined to do that. I remember somebody giving me some advice. Um, actually, it was Jilly Cooper. Uh, many years ago and she said uh, darling do as much research as you like and then take what you need and bin the rest because undigested research is not something anybody wants to read and it's very tempting to put a lot of your research into a book very tempting because you're you feel so clever that you found it all out you know um but I think it's some of the best advice that I have received, really. Ideas don't come along by the busload. I mean, they too tend to come along just maybe three or four at a time. And, and I will then in my mind sort out when I think I can get to that. I'm best to get to that idea. And I have um, an idea for my next one, not the one I'm writing now, but the, the next one, um, which I've known about for about a year, but I haven't gone any further with it um in any shape uh, at this stage but I, so i'll get around to that later in the year um this one that i'm doing now i knew i wanted to do something like i've known i wanted to do something like this for ages actually for a few years um it's, this is more of a psychological thriller and uh, so it's got me away from uh because i do a lot of issue uh, issue-driven books, so child abuse, drink, drink driving, uh, cancer—you know, really, um, uh, you know, really catastrophic events that change families, change people. Um, and my aim with that really is to, so that you get into the mind and the family and the hearts of people who really suffer with these things because you can see it in a news story and then it's gone but if you've invested in a character as you read it opens your mind a lot to things that you perhaps didn't know anything about like waiting for a new heart etc um but now and again, I need to come away from those issue-driven books because they can be... The one I finished recently um, was about um, a homeless per a person who lost everything, you know, a young mother who loses her home. And she basically is a victim of universal credit. And after I had written that book, I knew I needed to get away from the issues for a while because they actually do... They upset me a lot, and that did upset me a lot because I, I, I am enraged, enraged by what this government is trying to do with these universal credits, the way that they treat people who are um, already so challenged in their worlds, who just have so little, the real forgotten people. And, and I have to come away from it. Um, and so that's why I've gone now into a psychological thriller, uh, which is a different kind of genre again, um, but it's, it's a break for me. Experience is, is incredibly helpful. Uh, but you don't, all, I mean, I have never experienced waiting for a heart and I've never experienced universal credits. You don't, 
you, you don't necessarily have to have the experience. But what it does, you know, it broadens your mind, uh, it broadens your horizons to go out. And, and, and I, I felt from quite a young age, you know, I was published around 20, the age of 27. And I, I understood right away what a privilege it was to be able to go and live in other countries um, as easily as I could. I mean, the United States is a very difficult country to go and live in, as you know. You know, green cards don't grow on trees. Um, but as an author, I was able to get a green card. And I, I felt that it would be wrong not to honour that privilege to actually uh, to go and, and take advantage of it. Uh, and, yeah, of course, I mean, actually, when I was in the United States, I wrote a series of four books um, which was very inspired by the political scene there at the time. Um, and they are, as you say, okay, different um, different genres and more political thrillers, but you've got really sort of quite raunchy love stories in there, uh, within those books as well. Um, because that's another thing. I used to write really graphic, full-on sex Um because there was sex before Fifty Shades of Grey. You could be forgiven for thinking there might not well, have been. Mentioned Jimmy already, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there you go, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so then when I was um, in the States, I was very inspired by that political landscape. It's interesting, he didn't write about Hollywood at all, uh, even though that was where I was living. But now, I feel it now, actually. I feel now that I don't get out enough. And when I'm in London, I do feel I feel a tremendous charge of energy and inspiration when I'm in London, which reminds me of how I do need to get out more because I'm losing contact, really. Uh, and especially because I'm so much older and like people like you, you speak almost in a different language to me now. And, uh, you know, my stepsons do it. I have to keep asking them how to say certain things in a book if I'm writing young people, you know. It's like, oh, God, no, you would never say that. Uh, so I have to, and because I'm not mixing with people, I'm not hearing it. So it's, you know, I think it is it's important to be out there mixing with the world. You don't necessarily have to experience living next door to George Clooney. That's it for this week's Writer's Routine. Huge thanks to Susan Lewis for coming on the show, having a chat with me. Her brand new book, One Minute Later, is out right now and you can find out all the details for it over at writersroutine.com. And while you're there, you'll find all the episodes from the shows that we've done so far. Uh, and if you've got a writing tip that has really helped you out, uh, share it with us. I'll say hello. Uh, I'll tell everyone about the little tip, the little bit of advice that gets you through the day. You can send them that as a message to me on the website as well. Uh, you can also get in touch uh, with the follow on Twitter at WritersPod there. We're Writers Routine on Instagram. And if you've got a spare second, honestly, I'd love you to just drop a review for Writers Routine over on Apple Podcasts. Say something nice if you can. Uh, <laughs> drop five stars as well. Leave us your name so I know who it is and I, I can thank you properly later on. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're back with an Irish writer whose debut was critically acclaimed, mega successful, uh, and she's bringing out a new novel. You can hear from her on the next Writers Routine, which is out in a couple of weeks. I'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.